0: Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weird soul, this bag of bones. Oh, I try with all of my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, oh, vagabond. Just when I ran out of road I met man I didn't know He told me that I was not alone He picked me up, He turned me around He placed my feet on solid ground I thank the Master, I thank the Savior Because You healed my heart, You changed my name free, I'm not the same I think the master, I think the singer I think God hey. See, I cannot deny what i see. Got no choice but to believe My doubts are burning Oh, I got in the wind. So long to my old friends Burden, dead, bitterness You can keep them moving Oh, you ain't welcome here From now to now The streets are cold I'm singing how you saved my soul This wayward sun this proud His way I thank the Savior, because you healed my heart and changed my name forever free. I'm not the same, I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. All right, come on, I lost another one. Another
1: one I, I am, am
2: free, free. yes yeah, sing
1: it. I am free let's sing uh-huh. I am-
0: I think the Savior, I think God. All
2: right, put your hands together just like this. man i love 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 this song in luke chapter 15 jesus tells us three stories he tells us the story of the parable of the lost sheep where the man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them and he goes out and he searches he searches and he finds us one it says when he finds that one sheep he rejoices because what was lost is now found and in the second story there's this woman who has this precious coin that's precious to her says that she loses it and then she searches and she searches and finally when she finds it she rejoices because she's because what was lost is now found and the third story is one that a lot of us know it's the parable of the prodigal son you guys know this right that father has two sons and one of the sons asks for the inheritance of the father before the father's even dead and he goes and he wastes it away and then when he comes back that son is not met with judgment he's not met with the list of his wrongs but he's met with joy and with rejoicing because what was lost is now found. And it says in each one of those parables, it says that whenever one repentant sinner comes back to the Father, the angels in heaven rejoice. That is an awesome thing. And what I love about that last story is that that, that joyous celebration isn't just for the Father, but even the Son who returns, he gets to take part in that. And so what that tells me, church, is that for us as sinners who have come back to Jesus, We can have fun in church, right? We can have fun as we sing. We can have fun as we rejoice in the salvation that we have. We can remember the joy of our salvation. So clap your hands, all you people. And we're going to sing that bridge again of the Hell Lost Another One. I am free. I am free. Because that's our story,
0: our testimony. Come on. Sing Hell Lost Another One free my heart. You changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I think the faster. I think the The castle that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation,
2: I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. One, sing the gospel right here. Then through the darkness, you loving
0: thank you Lord the work is finished the end is written Jesus Subscribe. the promise yes. your buried body Whoa. began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah! Praise the One who set me free. Hallelujah! Death has lost its grip for me. You have broken every chain. there's salvation in Your name, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah Praise the one Who set me free Hallelujah You've broken every chain There's salvation In your name Jesus Christ My living hope Jesus Christ not darkest day in history, mm. they on a cross they made for sinners, for every curse his blood atoned, one final breath and it was finished.
1: Amen. Can we give God some praise? All hail King Jesus. Amen. 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 Man, that song gets me so just pumped up. I'm like, I could have gone for ten more minutes with that song praising Jesus. Um, As we go into our time of giving and offering, I just wanted to share a quick story. First of all, my name is Benson. A few weeks ago. A team from, and there'll be pictures here in a second. um, A team from Friday Night went and to Lighthouse Family Retreat, and uh, it's a retreat, family retreat for families who are there. There we are, Uh, families who have are dealing with childhood cancer, and it was my first time going there, and just from the second I stepped foot into the door. The stories of these children, what they're going through, what their parents have to go through, and if you've ever wondered what our giving goes towards or where it goes, it goes to. Can you show the next picture? This is uh, Bellamy. She's she's five years old. Um, diagnosed. You can go through the next picture. Um, that's Bellamy and her mom, and. the thing with Bellamy, it had been 270 days that she'd gone without being separated with her mom. So this retreat, it provided just three hours in the day, in the morning, for Bellamy to go out and hang out with the different kids in the area and the different families while her mom got a chance to just speak to other adults and share what she's going through and get healing in some kind of way. And I just wanna say, being there and watching the families, there's about 30 of us in total from New Life Friday night um, and like 15 kids just hanging out with Bellamy, showing her love, and then the parents with the Linscombs and they just, Bellamy's mom got to share just what she's going through. And I remember as they were leaving the retreat, just being how thank, just sharing and how thankful they were for the time that they had at that retreat, and how it fueled them to get to the next journey that they had to push through with Bellamy as she gets goes through treatment. There's the next picture. Uh, yeah, there she is. And the next picture with the whole family. Um, Bellamy and her brothers. And her mom is just raising all four kids, just herself. And we got to play a part and provide healing and provide rest and provide just the hope that only comes from Jesus. So I just wanna say, I'm so proud of New Life Friday Night for what you give towards and the the healing that it gives to so many families um, throughout our community and around the world. So thank you so much for that. Um, Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just the example that you set, Lord, of what giving looks like and what sacrifice looks like. And Lord, thank you for the kindness of this community, Lord, that we get to be a part of, Lord God. And God, we pray for Bellamy and her family as they get on to the next uh, step of their journey as she just gets towards healing, Lord God, that you'd be with them, that you'd continue to comfort them, Lord, that, that the rest and peace that they experienced at the retreat, Lord, would just fuel them towards Uh, their next journey, Lord. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. There are four ways to give. Join us as we continue to worship.
0: I cast my mind and drenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed By heavy stone Messiah stood in all of Oh, praise the My gaze transfixed
2: on Jesus. Yes, church. So come on, open your mouth and praise him. And say, oh praise. So good to praise God, right? Amen. I always, whenever I get to this part in the service where we just have been praising God for 30 minutes now, and I say that it's not just like a filler thing, but David, and uh, it's either Psalm 91 or 92. Uh, he says, "It is good to give thanks." and to sing praises to your name, O Lord most high. It's like he knows like it's, it's good for our souls in the same way that like food would, would nourish our body, that praising God would nourish our souls in a way. So it's good to do that. And church, we're about to open up God's word with uh, Pastor Rory here from East. We're so excited. Before we do that, you know what this is. You know the drill here. Get out of the aisle. Get out of your seat. Find someone you didn't come to church with. Introduce yourself. Shake their hand. Welcome them here this evening in the world of God's Word.
3: Hello, New Life Friday Night family. Daniel Grothy here. Two things I need to tell you tonight. First, next Friday night, October 13th, we are going to have an incredible baptism service. If any of you have been around our baptism services, you'll know how excellent they are. The Spirit of the Lord is present. Everyone's cheering. People are crying. Kids are clapping and dancing. It's a party. So please join us next Friday night. And. If you are someone who wants to get baptized, the Lord's been leading you to enter the waters of baptism. Get signed up online, give us a shout, shoot me an email, whatever you need to do, get signed up and let's let's celebrate you in the waters of baptism next Friday. That's the first thing. Next Friday, baptism service. Second thing, tonight you have a very special treat to have a guest speaker called Rory Green here. Pastor Rory is the associate pastor out at New Life East He is an excellent preacher, he's thoughtful, he's funny, he comes from a good family, he's a man of God and I trust him and I've invited him tonight to come preach the word out of 1 Kings. So would you please, when he comes up on the stage, would you give him a warm New Life Friday night, raucous welcome, welcome Pastor Rory Green. new life Friday
4: night. Good to see you. I always love when I get to be up here. Um, And I just want to say like Daniel Grothy, you guys have one of the best pastors in the entire world. Yes, you do. You do. Um, Tonight, here's what I would like to do. I would like to talk about the Chicago mob, um, a young king, and what it means for us to be a part of the family of God. Does that sound like a plan? You're not sure, (laughs) neither am I. Before we hop into the scriptures, let's go ahead and settle our hearts. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. Oh, God, what a joy it is to worship you. What a gift it is. I keep having this picture about you that you are the kind of God who is just in constant pursuit of us, who is constantly calling us to yourself, who is constantly drawing us to yourself. And when we show up with our whole selves, with our whole lives, you are like the Father in Luke 15. You are ecstatic. All of heaven rejoices. And so tonight, God, what I ask of our time together is that you would once again draw us to yourself. That you would pull every part of us to you. Not just the parts that we are willing to give, but all the parts. Would you draw our hearts and our minds and our souls, would you draw our hands and our feet to you so that we might worship you with all of our lives and follow behind Jesus for all of our days? We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. First thing I want to do tonight, I want to tell you a story about a man named Eddie. Uh, not Eddie Hoagland, who is the executive pastor of worship here. I don't have a story to tell you about Eddie. This Eddie, this Eddie was a humble businessman who lived in St. Louis, Missouri in the 19, late 1920s, early 1930s. Eddie, he got married when he was 19. He lived with his wife and, a ki- and kids above his father-in-law's grocery store in St. Louis. Humble beginnings, but, but Eddie... Eddie wasn't satisfied with his humble beginnings. Eddie was a grinder. So Eddie, he worked hard. He, he hustled. He spent nights going to law classes. He eventually passed the bar exam in the state of Missouri. He became a lawyer. At one point, he inherited an entire dog racetrack operation that he was running. He began to become a wealthy, well-off young man. This, this operation ended up stretching all the way from Missouri, St. Louis, all the way up to the southern part of Chicago. And one day as Eddie is working, a man strolls on in to his office. He immediately recognizes who this man is. He's heard stories about this man. This man, though, was not like a hero. He wasn't someone to be admired. He was actually someone who had brought all sorts of atrocities into the city of Chicago, via prostitution, running alcohol, racketeering, robbery, and even murder. It was a man by the name of Al Capone. Strolls on into Eddie's shop, and would you believe it, Eddie and Al hit it off. Eddie becomes Al's right-hand man, his lawyer, for a number of years. Eddie was so good at practicing law, he was so savvy, he kept Al Capone himself out of jail for quite a long time, protected him, shielded him, They were running dog racetracks all over the U.S., not just in Chicago, but in New York, down in Miami. They were making making it work. Eddie was now getting paid handsomely more money than he had ever been paid. He's, He's raking it in. So much so, the legend says that Al Capone set him up in a beautiful mansion in downtown Chicago that took up a whole city block. Eddie had gone from his humble beginnings in St. Louis, Missouri, above that grocery store, in that small apartment with his kids and his wife, to now a mob boss in and of himself, protecting the greatest mob boss the city of Chicago had ever seen. But Eddie wasn't blind, and he wasn't stupid. He saw all of the atrocities that were sort of unfolding around him, all the evil and weirdness and peculiarity, all the ways that people were making money off of people's misfortune, and he had constant moments where he could see that things were not as good as they should have been, and he could have made a decision. But, as we all know, that when you have a lot of wealth, when you have a lot of power, when you have a lot of control, it can easily be corrupted. And if you've been walking with us in this book of 1 Kings, you know this to be true. That what we've seen over and over in this story are people who gain a ton of power, a ton of wealth, a ton of authority, and all of a sudden become corrupt. The story of 1 Kings, it unfolds starting with the story of Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. David dies. He gives Solomon the kingdom. Solomon has these miraculous moments with God. In fact, one of them where God gifts him wisdom and discernment. In Solomon, he starts his reign as king really well. Like he's doing really well. He's building up palaces and, and temples and spaces of worship For Yahweh, but all of a sudden, you guys know this Solomon just doesn't finish well. He crashes and burns. All the things that had been set for him to not do, he just, in fact, quite wildly engages in. Once you get a lot of power, a lot of wealth, it's easily corrupted. And so the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings are really just about Solomon and his life. And then the rest of 1 Kings really unfolds how the rest of these kings that show up in power begin to use it. And every time I am in like a sermon or I read a book about kings, I am always completely like shocked and confused about who is king at what time and where are they. So I thought that there might be some other people that when we talk about this stuff, you find yourself going, who's in charge and where, and how did they get in charge? So I had our creative department, our incredible creative department, draft up a little visual aid to help us here tonight to help us track how this works. So Solomon is king at one point, you know this. And God looks at him and says, Solomon, because of your like, poor ability to finish well, this kingdom is gonna be divided. But it's not gonna be divided while well, you're king, it's gonna be divided as your sons and other people become kings. So what we find is that Israel becomes one of those divisions. And a man named Jeroboam is put in power over Israel and Jeroboam, he doesn't do great. He uh, he shows up, and pretty quick into his term, he says, what if, great idea, we build two golden calves and worship them instead of Yahweh? And the people of Israel, who had been freed from Egypt, wandered in the desert, built one of these, it didn't go well, should have had alarms going off in their head. This isn't the right move for us. He reigns for a good chunk of time, and then all of a sudden, a king comes along named Nadab. Nadab, he's only king for two years. But what the scriptures tell us is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Another king comes along named Basha. What is said about him? Well, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You're going to catch a trend that goes on here. Another king shows up. His, name, his name's Elah. And believe it or not, the Bible doesn't say, he, doesn't say that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he wasn't king long enough for anyone to find out. He was king for a very short amount of time because he was murdered by this guy named Zimri. He murdered him, just struck him down. And Zimri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but Zimri was like, he had lost his mind so much so that he finds himself one night in the palace, he sets it on fire, him along with it. Just gone. Two more kings show up in the legend of Israel, Omri and Ahab, and you wanna know how the Bible describes them? They did, yes, it's fascinating. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does often rhyme. The other kingdom, Judah, is established. Rehoboam, he comes into power. A similar thing is said about him. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He built high places up for cult worship. He built what were called Asherah poles. These were, think like a, the closest thing I can sort of model it after is like a tiki. So it's this tree that has been carved into the image of a God that now they are bowing down and worshiping. And as you can imagine, things didn't end well For him, the next king that shows up, the son of Rehoboam, is a king named Abijah. And it says that he committed all the sins of his father. But the little caveat to him is that he would not fully commit his heart to the Lord. He would sort of lean in, but wouldn't fully commit his heart to the Lord. And what followed was death, destruction, decay. And then all of a sudden, this character shows up in this line of Judah named King Asa. Let me hear you say King Asa. And the story of King Asa unfolds in First Kings chapter 15, starting in verse 9. If you have a Bible, you can open it to that. If not, the scriptures will be on the screen. The writer of 1 Kings says this. It says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years years. That's a good long run for these kings. His grandmother's name was Makah, daughter of Abishalom. Makah. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Sorry, I've been doing that all week and was like, I've got to sound like a bird when I get on stage. (laughs) Makah. Okay. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother, McCaw, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple, read, read in there, he brought back into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. A question should sort of pop into our mind as we read this account of King Asa. We've got these separate kingdoms that were once one, but every king is completely crashing and burning. And we knew that this would happen because God told Solomon, listen man, if 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 you can't get this right, generations following you are going to have a really hard time. And yet we stumble upon this character named Asa who is somehow put it back together. We see a kid, a young king who's been put in power and leadership and authority and has looked around the world that he finds himself in and says, this is not okay. Asa is different. And Asa does something different. What I wanna to propose to you tonight is that what Asa does that is so significant is that he has the courage to put a stop to the trail of generational brokenness in his family. Because remember, in Judah, these are all sons and fathers. He has the courage to put a stop to the trail of generational brokenness. Listen, it doesn't take long to read the Bible to recognize that the Bible has this idea flowing through it that what happens in one generation that is broken and not good can tend to repeat itself from generation to generation. It just keeps showing up. Your family can keep producing brokenness. So, here's one of the things I want to propose to you tonight. It's this if we want to stop the trail of generational brokenness in our lives, we must dismantle the dysfunction of our past. A nice little lighthearted sermon for you this evening. We must dismantle the dysfunction of our past. Now, what do I mean by that? You think about the life of Asa, he shows up as king, and the writer of uh, 1 Kings lets us know that he steps in and he immediately kicks out the male prostitute. So these are men who have been brought into like idolatrous worship and they are offering their whole bodies, but not in a way that we would encourage anyone to offer their whole bodies. They've offered their whole bodies in this perverse, dysfunctional way, a way that God had not intended for it to happen. And Asa just kicks them out of the place. It also says that what Asa does is he steps in and he literally cuts down destroys all of the idols that have been built up there by his ancestors. He kicks Grandma Macaw out of her power. She had somehow found a way to be named Queen Mother. It was hard enough for God to give his people a king. He wasn't exactly like, well, I guess you want a king, we should give you a queen and a court jester and you can have a bunch of knights too running around. He doesn't really do that. So this is a made up position of power She has asserted herself into, and what does Asa do? He shows up, and the the language is violent. He kicks them out. He cuts them down. He burns the idols. Can I tell you what is so challenging about what Asa does? He's not just stepping into a religious and political space and going, hey, some stuff's been wrong here. We need to fix it. He starts dismantling all of the things that had been built by his family. Can you imagine how hard that must be? Some of you have boxes of junk from your relatives that you've been holding on to for years, and you won't laugh because you're like, it's not junk, but we all know. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get rid of things yes. that were once held by a loved one. Imagine what Asa is doing. Like, imagine the height, the weight of it. Yes. He is tearing down things that have been established by his dad. He's tearing down things that have been established by his mother, his grandmother, aunts, uncles. He is defiantly looking at his family of origin and saying, What you guys have done up to now is not holy, it's not okay, it's not lined with goodness, it's broken, it's dysfunctional, it's evil. Some of you in this room actually know what it's like to have those conversations. To look at your parents, your grandparents, aunts, uncles, people that you once held very dearly and have said, hey, we've gotta put up a boundary here. We can't talk anymore. This has to end. Now the truth about family is that your family gives you some of the greatest gifts in the world, don't, don't they? They pass on blessings to you. Families have the incredible capacity to pass on blessings. Some of you in this room, some of you, you have stepped into profound wealth because you had relatives who figured out how to steward their resources well. And now you and your family, you're taken care of. You're working hard, you're doing things for yourself, but man, you have wealth has been handed down generationally. Some of you are in this room as Jesus followers because a grandmother or a grandfather said, you will come to church, and they dragged you there. Families can hand off beautiful things. Some of you, some of you, your families, they taught you to look out into the world and see the disenfranchised, the forgotten, the marginalized people of the world And to go above and beyond and extend love and care and compassion and empathy to them. And you're carrying that out. Now you're trying to hand that down to generations and generations beyond you. Your family can give you some of the greatest gifts in the world. but families are complicated. Because your family of origin, the way you were raised, the spaces you found yourself can also hand you some of the most dysfunctional things in the world. And I can hear the thoughts of some of you that are like, yeah, Rory didn't have a great upbringing, but I'm not a victim to anything. I'm a part of the family of God now. Can I tell you what one of my favorite pastors says, Pete Scazzaro, some of you may know this quote. He says, uh, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. (laughs) Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. It's difficult to escape the place that you come from, but what we find in First Kings with the story of Asa is a king who at some point sat down and went, what is gone on back here, I'm not carrying anymore. I'm not bringing this into the future. To get real practical with us, can we go to therapy for like 10 minutes real quick, New Life Friday night? To get real practical with you, there's some of you who are like, this is the first time you've ever even wrestled with the idea of what you might be carrying into the future that has been handed to you from previous generations. I want to give you a few questions that we can ask ourselves tonight to begin to sort of take an evaluation of ourselves. A good question that I think we all should ask ourselves from time to time is what are your relational patterns in life? There's some great work that's been done in the world of psychology around something called attachment theory. And attachment theory is really just attempting to give us a way to understand how we relate to those whom we love and those who love us. And what we're all striving for, what we all want in our life is just what it would call secure attachment. You know how to be in good, healthy, loving relationships where things can be stable and solid. But for most of us, we're battling against relationships, and attachments that we've been taught from generations before us, that have been to, we've been told, this is how you relate to the world. Some of you, you walk around, if you're honest, with what they would call like an anxious attachment style, where you're always wondering if you're okay with the people whom you love. You're always wondering if they're okay with you. And so you find yourself constantly having these conversations with them where you go, hey, are we good? And it can be read as just genuine sort of concern, but deep down, you know what's happening for you is that you're wondering if those people whom you love still love you at all. For others, it goes beyond that. What you walk around and carry is what they would call like an avoidant attachment style. So you find yourself, anytime someone expresses love or intimacy or care to you, you give them a real nice stiff arm and say, hey, we can have this relationship if you just stay eight feet away from me. When people try to express love, you, you distance yourself from them. For others of you, it's not avoidance, it's not anxiety. You would have what's called like a scattered attachment style. Which I'm going to just let you know that the rest of us are as confused by you as you are. You find yourself not being sure how to relate to people. So you're just sort of moving throughout life. You're just, has half the time you're talking with everyone because you love them. And then the other half you're like hiding in your room because you don't think anyone wants anything to do with you at all. What are your relational patterns? Because the, the reality is you probably didn't learn those on your own. You learn them from your family of origin, your parents, the culture that you find yourself growing up in. You know why this is a really important question? Because if not dealt with, if not recognized, you know who begins to experience this attachment style from you? God. If if you find it really hard to know what kind of footing you're on in a relationship, I wonder what your life with God is like always clouded with shame some guilt you messed up 10 years ago you haven't forgotten it because you think God hasn't forgotten it you hear that God loves you and wants to be close and near to you and all you can do is just put a stiff arm up (laughs) or God is spending half his time being like I would love to be with you but where are you at right now it begins to not affect just our relationships here it begins to affect our relationship with the father of the world who has created us and built us. Another great question for us to ponder tonight. You ready for this one? What behaviors have you accepted as holy that are just in fact sinful? Wow. You have looked at them and said, you know what, this is just what people do. This is just what people do. But it's in fact sinful. It's those behaviors that you grew up going, well, that's just mom being mom. That's just grandpa being grandpa. Grandpa. And now all of a sudden, people around you are going, well, that's just you being you. What are the behaviors that you have accepted as holy in your life but are in fact quite sinful? The ones I see the most often are people who would say things like, well, doesn't everybody just medicate their pain with alcohol? Doesn't everybody? I mean, everybody, everybody watches pornography from time to time. Everyone deals with their anger by getting physically violent. It's just what we do. What are the behaviors that are, in fact, quite sinful and broken that you've accepted as holy? And if we were honest, we could look at some of the greatest missteps of our life and recognize that those are the behaviors that hijacked it. Those are the behaviors that seeped in. We normalize them, and all of a sudden, people around us were like, Hey, we don't want to, we can't be around this anymore. Another question, the last question that I think is worth pondering. What are the narrative scripts that you have embraced? Now, that might be a term that you haven't heard before. A narrative script is, is a story. What's the story that you heard growing up about yourself? What's the story that you've heard over the last 20 years that you have just accepted as True. What are the stories that you have heard that you have just simply accepted as true? It's the messages that you've received and you have now allowed them to inform how you behave, how you live, what you believe even about yourself. I think about King Asa in this case. He was told what a king does in Judah. They say they worship Yahweh, but publicly, they build up the high places, they worship idols, they help Grandma macaw do whatever she's doing. He was given a script. And what does he do? He breaks it. He says, this will not be who I am. What are the stories that you have begun to just believe to be true that are in fact not that true? Can I tell you something about myself? I am... Um, I'm the only person in any of my living family whose marriage has not been touched by divorce yet. The only living person in my family, immediate or extended. What I'm not talking about is like generational sin, I'm talking about generational brokenness that has trailed itself down. So you know what was really funny when I first got married? Um, I woke up the day after we got married, we, moved, we got back home, And I realized my wife was still there. Now, I don't know why this was like a shock to me, but I was surprised. I was like, you're still here. And she was like, where else would I be? And I was like, that's fair. (laughs) You know what happened every time we got into a fight in our marriage? I assumed that divorce was coming. So you know how I fought early on in our marriage? viciously. I had bought into a script that what happens to people in my family when marriage doesn't look perfect is what? Divorce. Just happens. I was, I was the worst husband for like the first two, three years of our marriage. Because I'm walking around going, well, it's inevitable. I'd get sick of me too at some point. I wonder how many of you are living with things like that? Stories that you were told growing up, stories that you've bought into in your family of origin, stories that you've just accepted that have been handed to you by culture, and for you, it's just inevitable. So friends, let me ask you a question tonight. What are the things that need to be dismantled in your life? What are the scripts that you need to tear down? What are the sinful behaviors that you have been taught by family, it's just been normalized. And you need to repent of and let go of. What are the ways that you relate to people that if you're just honest are not healthy and, are, and might be the cause of all of the relational dysfunction that you have ever experienced? What are the places in your life that much like Asa, you need to get violent with? You need to cut them down, you need to burn them off. What are those places? But can I tell you something really fascinating about his story? And it's the story of us, too. It's not enough for us to look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm not going to be like Grandpa was. It's not enough to just go, I'm not gonna do the things that have been handed to me. I'm gonna ignore my family of origin. It's not enough to actually do that. Think about what Asa does in this story. Verse 14 again, can we throw it up on the screen? It says that although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Verse 15. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. These things had been removed at one point. And what does he do? He brings them back. He doesn't just go, I'm gonna tear down the idols, no more idol worship, false stuff, all gone. He actually goes, you know what I need to do? Is I actually need to put good things back where they need to be. It's not enough for you to say, I'm not gonna be like dad. Then who are you gonna be It's not enough for you to say, I'm not gonna repeat to my kids what my mother did to me. What am I going to do? I would say it this way. It isn't enough for us to dismantle the dysfunction of our past. We must also construct a new legacy for the future. And we see, listen, we see Asa do this. He turns his heart fully devoted towards God. He brings the physical things back into the temple where they need to be. He adds things back in. I think about a friend of mine who's a worship pastor at a church. And I was sitting with him one night in the midst of what was like some of the most broken, dysfunctional season of his life. And it was coming out, it was coming to the surface. And I sat with him and I looked at him. And one of the things about my friend is that his dad was a well-known worship leader himself until one night he decided to take his own life. This is the story, this is the script that my friend had grown up with his whole life. And I looked, for some reason, I felt like God told me to say this to him. I looked at him and I said, hey man, listen, I feel like you are spending your whole life just trying to not be your dad. I feel like you are spending your whole life just going, if I don't take my own life, then I'm good. If I don't take my own life, my marriage is great. If I don't take my own life, my kids are in great shape. I said, but you not taking your own life is not the litmus test of if you can build a new legacy or not. It's a great start. It is not the whole picture. So what will you add back in? And I love what the writer of 1 Kings does. Look at how Asa is described. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Can I ask you guys a question if you've been paying attention over these last couple of weeks? Is David Asa's dad? No. What's the writer trying to give us a picture of here? That Asa has somehow, through these decisions of intentional, like chopping down, eliminating things, Asa has actually done something for himself and his kids that no one thought could happen. I'd say it this way, that his new legacy is defined, he is actually re into the family of God. His family of origin is no longer his identification. He has actually been re into the family of God. The writer goes, he's a son of David. What does that mean? He was a man after God's own heart. He was re into the family of God, and that, my friends, can be true for us as well. Our family of origin does not have to define us The behaviors and patterns and brokenness that's been handed to us does not have to define us. We can be refamilied into the family of God. We can choose a new legacy for our lives with the help of the Spirit himself. I wanna tell you one last story tonight. I told you a story about a man named Eddie at the top of this message. I wanna tell you about a, a story about a man named Butch. Butch, what a good name. We don't name people Butch anymore. Butch was a fighter pilot in World War I. He was assigned to an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. It was called the Lexington. And on February 20th of 1942, Butch was out flying a routine mission when it had been reported that a bunch of Japanese spies had located where the Lexington was, this massive ship. And these Japanese spies had alerted their commanders where the ship was and a bomb strike had been called in on this boat. They were going to go all after it. And so Butch is out on this run with one of his pilots, and they hear this message. They immediately make a beeline back for the ship, but Butch's gas, his oil, is almost out. He had enough, right, because that's how they do it with pilots. They have enough to get to where they're going and to make it back. And as they're heading back to the ship, they see these Japanese ships coming in. And in Butch's mind, he knows that he has a choice. He can either run away. He can hightail it out. He can go land somewhere, disappear into the jungle, keep himself safe. Or he can find a way to protect as many of his people that are on that boat. So as you can imagine, he does the brave thing. He goes in there. He uses barely any rounds of ammunition. He starts clipping the wings of planes to knock them out of the sky. And to make a very long story short, he eventually saves the day. He's known as a hero. He's, in fact, the only, he's the first naval aviator to win a Medal of Honor. For this act, this massive, courageous act to save a group of people that he could have just as easily abandoned. He could have turned a blind eye to the atrocities that he saw going on. He could have just ignored what was going to happen to people. But instead, he flies back. Can I tell you something fascinating about that story? Butch, his name is Butch O'Hare. He is the son of Eddie O'Hare. The story that I told you at the top. Butch, this courageous, recognized military hero, was the son of the lawyer of one of the greatest mob bosses in the history of Chicago. Butch at some point in his life made a decision that he would not carry on the dysfunction of generations before him. He would not carry on any desire to be the most wealthy person in the room. He wouldn't carry on the desire to have power. He wouldn't carry on the desire to be in control of whatever was going on. In fact, what he decides is that he is not going to ignore the atrocities, just turn a blind eye. He is going to be courageous and to be re into a different kind of legacy. And what's beautiful, friends, is that you and I have the same choice in front of us. Will we carry on the dysfunction that's been handed to us, the dysfunction of our past? Or will we step into something knew. Eddie was Al Capone's right-hand man until one day, he started attending Catholic Mass and started recognizing he couldn't, he couldn't block anymore what was going on around him. Eddie eventually calls an acquaintance of his with the FBI and is the primary reason that Al Capone served any sort of jail time. Eddie testified against him in court. Two days later, Eddie was found dead in his car, murdered. When the police got there to find his body, they found in his pocket a rosary and a crucifix. So while Butch, the son, makes the heroic change, and says, you know what, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm going to do something different. There was also something going on in Eddie's life, where Eddie and some of his friends said this later on, that the reason he made that choice to turn in Al Capone was because he realized how much it would ruin his son if he ever got in trouble. So friends, it's not... Just for some of us tonight to say, you know what, we are not going to carry on the generational brokenness of our parents and grandparents in the past before us. There's also a choice that lies ahead for some of us that says, you know what, if I'm honest, I don't want to be the dysfunctional, broken generation of the past for my kids, for the generations that come after me. And so you too have a choice to cut the road of generational brokenness and sin and fallout right here tonight. New Life Friday night, would you stand to your feet? If you're a communion server, I wanna invite you to come up front. There's no clearer picture of what it means to be a part of the family of God than to come to the table of the Lord. Because what we find when we approach the table is a father who is handing us nothing but blessings if we will just take them. We find a father who is handing us nothing but the gift of freedom and new life if we will just take it. So friends, we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when you come forward, you're gonna receive your communion container that'll have a piece of that bread in it. We also remember that same night he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, would you do it in remembrance of me? So I wanna invite you row by row, to come forward, receive communion. We're gonna worship, and then I'll come back up and we'll take it together.
0: my mother's womb. And from my mother's womb, God, He have chosen me. Your love has called my name. Oh, I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. slave to fear Oh, I am a child of God And I'm no longer a slave to fear And I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave I'm no longer a slave I am a child of God yeah. I'm no longer a slave to fear Oh, I am a child of God
4: Brothers and sisters, the family of God, would you take out that wafer and hold it in your hands? I'm reminded of... The reality that what happens to Jesus is his body is broken for us. So that our brokenness no longer defines us. It is no longer the thing we carry into the future. It is no longer the legacy that we have to leave behind. It is his brokenness that makes us heal. Would you take that wafer? Would you break it in your hands? And would you take and would you eat? At the same time, Reminded that what Jesus says about his shed blood for us is that it is a new covenant, which means it is a promise. It is a promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It is a promise that there is no brokenness that is too big for Jesus to overcome. Friends, would you hear that? There is nothing that is too big for Jesus to overcome. This is a gift from God for us tonight. Would you take and would you drink? Let's continue to worship. You
0: split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears that drowned in perfect love. You rescue me so I could stand and say that I am a child of God. See it again, you split. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love, yeah. You rescued me so I could stand and say that I am a child again. You split the sea, You split the sea so Oh so- Child of God, Ooh, I'm no longer a slave to fear, and I am a child of God. One more time we say, I'm no longer a no slave to fear, but I am. Sing hallelujah. We sing. sing, we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. For the Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. Again, we sing hallelujah. We sing for the Lamb. For the Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. For the Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing again. For the Lamb has overcome. Sing we sing. We sing Hallelujah. We sing Hallelujah. One more time to lift
1: Can we give it up for Rory one more time? Yeah. Man, um, as someone who comes from a dysfunctional family, (laughs) it is, I've shared my story here a few times, but that is a word exactly for me and just the life and the future that I want to create for myself. Romans 15, uh, Romans 8, 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. So just thank you for reminding us what adoption looks like in the kingdom of, uh, of just, yeah, thank you so much. Can we give up one more time for Rory? Thank you, brother. Uh, it's so good to just worship with you guys, weekend and week out. It's my favorite night of the week. Um, thank you for being here. Um, and speaking of kingdom families, this is what the 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 blessing we say it every week. Every week we're here, we say it. But this is what the Father is speaking over you, and we'll have it on the screens so that you can just let the word sink deep into your heart. But this is what God says to you when you come into the family. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Receive that this week as you go into wherever you're going, that he's, he's, he's called you, son. He's called you, daughter. Amen. Amen. You can join us in the back if you're new. Uh, Military Connect is meeting. Thank you so much for worshiping with us.